Hello and welcome to another episode of The Lowdown. Today I am joined by a man who is quite the coach and pedigree indeed, having coached in four different continents, Lee Johnson. Lee, welcome to the show. I'm well, thank you very much, Connor. How are you doing? All good. Uh, Lee, I believe the last time we got a chance to speak in depth about football was around this time last year, uh, during yeah. my ill-fated <laughs> short-term stint at Barnet. What have you been up to since? It's been a it's been a crazy year, hasn't it? Let's let's be honest. Like, I think no one realised that this pandemic was going to be as serious as it as it was and impact so many people in the way it has done. So, for for me personally, um, when when we went into lockdown last year, the the club um, basically decided to um, give everyone their notice and offer the opportunity to for people to. Uh, you know, work off, like work out their notice, which I basically decided to do. I I ended up finishing my contract at the end of July, I think it was. Um, so, but that that period was quite a challenge because you still had you still had players that were associated with the club, and also the club was banking on trying to get promotion back into the football league uh, through the playoffs. Um, and I think that if if the, the if the club had got promoted, then the academy would have would have stayed open. But the pandemic hit hit you know Barnet really hard and has hit, you know also hit many clubs very hard as well. So you know it just uh, it made sense for the for the owners to you know to pull the plug, which is a shame because you know there's some really good people that work there and some very good players that you know that we had you know the, in the academy, but. Um, you know, it's just what can you do? There's there's not much you you can actually do. So uh, hopefully, within time, everyone you know moves on and you know gets where they need to be. But for me, it's just been it's actually been quite nice to to spend time with my family and just reflect on on my time and what I've done over the last you know five ten years and and to to see how I you know how I might kind of choose to to you know to focus my career in the future. You know, I think. The lockdown has enabled me to spend a lot of time with my son, which is, which has really been good for me, because I think like when you're in a game, uh, it, it consumes you a lot, and so, you know, when he was first born, I didn't really see much of him, in, you know, in that first year, and not as much as I'd liked, and it's purely because of the commitment, um, you know, that you, that you put under when you're working in football. So I think having having a time with him and partner has, has been a blessing out of out of all this really so that's that's really been been good for me and I suppose for someone like yourself Lee just being involved in the game from grassroots up playing the game at a young age to being in academies yourself to coaching at a high level the last year was probably the longest period of time correct me if I'm wrong that you would have spent outside of the game obviously you say just you know get to spend time with your son and your young family do you think there's much more football can be doing, especially at a professional level, in, in terms of that work-life balance, especially for coaches? I think it's something that does need to be looked into a little bit more. I think um, you know we we try to make the environment as as good as it possibly can be can be for the players, but I do think that staff do get overlooked um, at times. Um, you know, the, the hours that some people put in, you know, is incredible. And I know people that are putting 60, 70 
80 hours a week, you know, working all hours God sends and, and for little reward. And, and that's quite demoralizing for, for some people. And, and, I, and I know that some people have actually come away from the game because of that, because, you know, it's too much, you know, they're not getting much back in, you know, in return for, for, you know, for the time and the efforts that they're putting in. So I do think clubs need to be a bit more aware of, of people that, that they have at a club. I think one of my kind of my, one of my key uh, values is, is valuing people. And I think that um, not just football, but just, organizations in general need to be you know more aware of of, of individuals and, and individual situations because you know if you if you're looking after people you're taking care of them you understand you know what their needs are and you know you might you might be able to support them and, and help develop them in a better way you're probably going to get you know better outcome you know from from the people that, that are employed at wherever it is so i i just think the pandemic has, has shaped that as well. I think a lot of organisations and companies now would have realised that there are other ways to do things, as as we all know now, like remote remote working and you know working from home has proven to be a big success. And there's been a lot of people that have been very productive like working in this way. And you know, I think it's a, a way for the for the future. Um, and I can see, I could see, you know, a lot of companies stick into this you know, way of working, maybe getting people to come in a few days a week and then the rest of the time working working from home. And it gives, it gives people a chance to, to spend time with their, their loved ones and, and be able to, to socialise as well because that, that's really, really important, right? Yeah. You know, so I, I'd like to say, you know, that would happen. Hopefully, it, it, you know, it can, you know, in the future. I think for people outside the football industry as well, they don't recognise Lee is that, you know, being a football coach, a football coach itself is a loose kind of definition. It's a loose term to describe the overall role. Because not only are you coaching, you're facilitating, you're a tutor, you're an educator, you're a parent, you're doing all one of the above, <laughs> you know, five or six different things at any one time. Getting into the game then at a young age, growing up in Kent, what was that kind of spark that would have ignited your passion for the game? I just think like playing with my friends, you know, I was lucky to grow up in a nice, a nice part of the world. We had a lot of open space. So we'd spend all the time playing outside on the grass and replicating what we'd seen on TV, you know, trying to score, score the goals from, from our favourite players. And this is probably the same as, as, as most kids around the world that, that play the game at an early age. And I think that, that was probably the, the the trigger for me, like starting out in football, just because I enjoyed it and I enjoyed playing with my friends and 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 trying to be like my idols. You know, I really loved Brian Robson back in the day. I remember wearing the old England kit from 1986 and you, had Brian, you, Brian Robson's gym pads and that. You're not one of those London Man United fans, are you? I am indeed, mate. I'm, I'm loyal, <laughs> loyal to the cause. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but, you know, in saying that, I had a membership for Man United, to be fair. Like, um, back in the mid-2000s, me and a friend basically got a membership package for a few years and we would go up and, uh, and see, see United when we could, which was, which was really good. But that, that really come from my dad, like, getting me into supporting Man United. He, he's obviously been in the game a long time and, um, you know, he, he was playing from an early age and 
played at a, a you know a decent level, but Man United was his club, but his London club was Cholton. So those are the two clubs that you know I used to follow more than anything growing up. Um, and I think my dad had a big influence in in me as well. I think he wanted me to to succeed and 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 do well. And you know I'm thankful for my parents really because they supported me in everything that I've done, but especially. At an early age, you know, they used to travel me and take me everywhere, travel all over the place and, you know, made sure I was able to get to training and get to games, which is something that I'm, you know, really, really thankful for. It's only, I suppose, upon reflection that you can only connect the dots going backwards. You can't really connect them going forwards. How much do you think today's generation are losing out as a result of COVID or even as a result of, you know, you mentioned going out there having World Cups, kickabouts with your mates growing up. We we all know before COVID, we were losing that social element anyhow, you know, with the proliferation of video games, social media, so on and so forth. What effect do you think that will have in the next generation of players coming through? Or kids, so to speak, more importantly. Well, I think, I think society's changed anyway, isn't it? You know, it's, it's changed, you know, and it will always continue to change. Actually, if anything, I think the pandemic may have, you know, done done the reverse and got people to want to be together and and play and you know engage with one another because you spent such a long time apart from your friends um, that you'd want to go out and play and and so it could have it could have a positive effect in, in that way. You look at with the schools reopening and you, you, my sister's got three children and. You know, you're hearing them excited about going to school because they're going to see their friends, their teachers. And that could be the same when you're going out and playing with your friends at home. So hopefully the pandemic will have a positive influence on people like connecting and playing outside. But it's hard to it's hard to kind of pinpoint, you know, because even from when I grew up to, to now, you know, there has been a massive shift in cultural societies and, you know, you don't see that many kids playing, you know, as, as they used to be. Like we would be out from from nine in the morning to nine at night, pretty much, just go in for a bit of food and then go back out again. You don't necessarily see that, and and that is a shame. But hopefully that that will change. And then I suppose you yourself, as a coach, Lee, you would have been in the academy environment yourself as a player at Millwall, then going coaching at a young age at Crystal Palace. What was the academy environments in both like Millwall and Crystal Palace compared to what you've been exposed to nowadays? So back at, when I was growing up at Millwall, it was, it was obviously very, very different to what it is now. Like it's so much more professional nowadays. Um, so that's the obvious thing for me, like the, the infrastructures that are in place, um, the resources that are available, you know, you've got people that specialise in certain areas of, of um, of the game, that are helping to develop players in in a holistic you know uh, approach. Whereas when I grew up, it was literally you'd be you know sent to a, a, you know a training facility. There wasn't Millwall at the time didn't have their own kind of training ground where all the kids came to and used to train in the evenings. They used to hire uh, multiple training facilities across London. So we used to train at Suburb Park on a on a Monday, you know, and you'd have you know loads of kids come in. For different age groups and it was a very much old school approach back then like the coaches that I had were very much old school driven and they were former football like former players themselves you know full of experience good knowledge of the game maybe 
taught you in a different way that you, you know you would see coaches teaching players today. Um, probably be a bit more ruthless towards you at times, and you know a bit straight, a bit more black and white in in how they you know when when about the the way they they spoke to people. But that that's what it was like back then. I think as time has moved on, people have become more educated. People have um, got to understand that everyone's needs are different. There's there's more support for coaches. Um, people are getting more exposure and, and I think people have the ability to, and the opportunities to learn more um, from others, which is maybe what wasn't in place back, back then when I was growing up, especially for, for coaches, you didn't have the internet. So coaches weren't able to go online and then source like coaching sessions or, you know, reach out to people like we're doing now um, and having conversations about, about you know, around football. So it, it was, it was very, very different. You know, the, when I was at Millwall, we, we would train on a Monday and a Wednesday. <clears throat> and we would only really play during the half-term periods because you wouldn't sign for your for your for a pro, pro club until you was 14, until you know, until you was a schoolboy. So up until that period, you were still playing for your grassroots team on a Sunday. So from let's say from 10 to, to 14, you were still playing, you know, with your with your mates on a Sunday, but you'd be doing your additional training. With, with like the club that you was training with in the week. Um, and I actually think that's, that was quite a good, good way of doing it because it, it still kept it quite pure for me. You know, you, you're still playing football with your friends. Um, there's, there's an element of seriousness ar- around football because when you're stepping into a professional club, the, the level of players, you know, is better. The coaching is better. The expectations that are put on you are, are a lot higher. So the whole level you know, like, you know, moves up. Um, <clears throat> whereas obviously nowadays, kids are going into academies from the age of six, you know, like doing pre-academy and then, you know, getting signed at nine. I don't know if that's too early, you know, because you almost take that kind of fun element away from from kids, I think, you know. And I, I, and I just think that if you're, if you're bringing children into a professional club at such a young age, the most important thing is you have to make it as fun, as enjoyable as, as possible and almost remove some of like the, the tactical side of football and the development side of football away from it because the most important thing is you want kids to be to be enjoying themselves and you want them to be there. And if they're not going to get that through playing with their friends, you know, uh, that they have at school or uh, from where they live, when they're coming into that environment, it just needs to be a fun place to be. You know, because there's a lot of pressure that, that, that gets put on, on these young players at a young age. Whether that's meant or not, I don't think so. I think it's unconsciously done um, just because they're stepping into a professional environment. Exactly. I think that's the key word there, unconsciously done. Because when you speak about human evolution, you know, competence always came before comprehension. And looking back at it in the past, it was more of, kind of unconscious learning when you're in that academy environment, especially for kids. Personally, what I don't like nowadays is that there's more of an effort made to make more conscious learning, that everything needs to be described. Everything needs a description. Everything needs a tag. Um, you look at the likes of Borussia Dortmund, Leicester City, including cage football into their practices and describing the benefits of that. For me, that kind of goes against the ethos and the grain of it. Main reason being, like, you play football just out of love and having a passion for the game. 
not everything needs to be explained. And although, of course, there is a plethora of coaching resources and everything, absolutely everything online now these days, I think there's no substitute for actually being out on the pitch doing the groundwork because you can do all the theory, but applying it into practice, as you know yourself, having coached and worked in four different continents with people from all over the world, it's a totally different science altogether. I, I believe so as well. You know, I've been lucky enough to, to see players in, in so many different environments in, in England and in other countries that I've worked in. And kids are just learning through playing, right? You know, I remember when I was in, in Rwanda, we, would, we was on a tour of the country. We'd done like a grassroots tour. And, you know, you, you were seeing children playing barefoot on dirt pitches, you know, with rocks and stones in, in the way. And the way they handled the ball, you know, was unbelievable. They've not been taught that. That's self-taught. That's basically learning football from the environment that they're in. That's not a coach going, right, look, as the ball comes into you, I want you to receive the ball on the outside of your foot into space and then drive. They've learned that through through the environment that, that, that they're in. And I, and I think that's the biggest factor for me for, for young players, like learning from from within the, you know, the environments that they set themselves. Um, and it was just quite inspiring for me to, to see to see these kids. And I was quite quite shocked at the the level um, of, of some of the players that I've seen. And I think if if you could remove them from from that environment and put them into an environment that we have in, in England, you know, I think they would shock a lot of people at the quality that some of these players, you know, possess. And I think it's um it's unfortunate that the African continent doesn't have the you know, the infrastructure that, you know, it should have because there's so many players that have been slipped, you know, that have slipped through the net and have been missed just because they don't have the, you know, the, the things in place to help, you know, develop and support them in the, in the way that we would have in this country. But I, I do I do echo what you say. I think that the main focus for me should be all about learning through fun and in enhancing your skills in, in a fun way. And then a coach is like drip feeding information in to, to layer on top of what they already know. That's, that's how I, I, you know, I think it should be done, you know, and um, it, it is done in some clubs and some clubs do it very, very well. Um, but I'd like to see it rolled out. I think, I think we, we make things quite complicated. Coaches make things complicated and it doesn't need to be complicated, especially at a young age. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, even when you talk about unconscious learning, so to speak, being on the shoulders of giants, and Tony Strudwick, he did um, a study on the class of 1992 at United's Cliff Training Ground, the likes of Nicky Butt, uh, Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes, David Beckham, the two Neville brothers all playing beside each other, and how they all acted as role models for one, in, for one another. But it was very much unconscious learning it's only upon reflection do they realize oh wow that was a huge factor in our development and um, you know looking even at the likes of yourself you go to Chelsea there after Crystal Palace and you're surrounding yourself with the likes of Neil Bath, Jim Fraser, Brendan Rogers, Michael Beale I mean that experience must have been monumental to your own development because not only were you there for five six years of course developing the latest cohort of English and English internationals and Chelsea first team players, 
but you're there challenging yourself on a day-to-day basis, trying to be better than the day before. I mean, being in a high-performance environment like that, what was that experience like in reflection? Was there just, I mean, was there one memorable kind of standout moment or was it just being in a month to take of it on the day to day? You know, I was very, very lucky to, to get an opportunity to work at, at Chelsea. And I think when you get those chances and opportunities, you've got to take them because there's always someone that's ready to take your place. You know, one thing that I did realise at Chelsea is that you couldn't get too comfortable because you get told and you'd always have someone watching, you know, whether that's you training or you delivering on a game day. There's always someone, you know, with their eyes on you. And and, and it wasn't necessary to, to scare you, but it was just to make sure that the levels were, were, were up all the time. You know, you're asking players to perform at the highest level that they can possibly perform at. And, and the academy and Chelsea in itself was asking the same of, of the staff. So for me, stepping into that environment and seeing what that was like firsthand and not necessarily having had that experience prior to that was an eye-opener to me. So, so it kind of it inspired me to want more and to, and to develop you know, myself more so I could you know, sustain a career but also work at the highest level um, possible. And I, knowing what it takes for a young player to to play in an academy from the age of eight and then progress them right away through to, to 18, 19, 20. Having seen that process and having seen, you know, players that have gone through that I've worked with and supported in, in different in different ways, it, you know, it's it's been it's been good for me. But then also I think the the support that we had as staff as well was was really good. I think what what Neil Bath wanted to do there is get everyone involved you know it wasn't just his vision or somebody else's vision it was like look this is what we would like to do what's your what's your thoughts what's your opinions so you know we would work together to create like a philosophy on how we wanted to operate how we wanted to play and I remember we we created like a um a coaching philosophy um and it was like it had like a had a plan to be the best you know academy in world football and this is how we're going to do it and this is what we're going to you know, work to, you know, work on to, to get there. <clears throat> and that was something I'd not seen before. I was taking it to a completely different level. And we were doing things back then that, you know, clubs were doing five or six years later. You know, like we had a PMA system pretty much up and running or being developed before the PMA actually was uh, officially introduced into, into like the EGLP like it is now. And so... Neil was always trying to stay one step ahead of like the competitors and the competitors were at the time all the local London clubs. So like your Arsenal's, your West Ham's, um, you know, your Tottenham's, your Cholton's. And then obviously further afield, you look at Man City now as well. So I think Chelsea have always tried to evolve and continue to evolve and to continue to develop their staff as well. And, and I think that's that's been paramount to, to their success, making sure that they've, educated people that are working with players and then those players those those people have helped to educate and develop you know you know the players and you can just see there's just been a continuous conveyor belt of 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 people that have gone into to Chelsea at some at one level and then you know moved on out and then you look at them now doing doing other things and 
you know, it's been, it's been, it's good to see. It's really nice to see. I think it's absolute testament to the work Neil Bath has done and all the other academy coaches at Chelsea over the years when you look at the proliferation of players that come through. Personally, as a Chelsea fan myself, I think Neil Bath is underappreciated. I think we've seen something similar at Tottenham Hotspur when John McDermott left his role to take up a role at the FA. Do they only realise, oh, wow, the legacy that man left behind? But in terms of bringing players through to the first team, be it at Chelsea now, Vitesse Arnhem, further afield, players that have gone on to play for their country also. Is there one single common denominator between all those? Or is it very much the case they've all had non-linear pathways to the top? Every player's pathway is going to be different, right? So, you know, no player's the same. So that's, that's one thing. Um, and then players will progress at different times throughout, throughout their, their careers. You know, not everyone develops the same way physically. So they're going to be some, some players that are more physically developed. So they just could be more dominant on the pitch just because of their size and how powerful they are. Then you might have some players that are really, really technical, a little bit smaller, a bit slight that might be able to influence games in, in other ways. Players are just developing at completely different at different rates. And I think what, what Chelsea were good at was understanding that, I felt, um, at times, and, you know, recognising where people needed to be pushed up, pushed up and challenged in, 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 different, in different areas. And um, I think one of the biggest things and you know we've we've all heard it but it's it's hard work and and you know and dedication to to wanting to be to be the best you know and i think that that word work hard people say oh you know i do work hard and i don't get get opportunities or things don't happen for me and i, I suppose then you could almost take that word away and go working smart because you can work hard but like working smart focusing on the things that are going to get you to where you need to be and and I think you have to be quite selfish as well. The, the players that you see today, they're not where they are now because they're necessarily nice or thinking about other people. They're focusing on themselves because not with them. At the end of the day, when a player crosses the line, whether that's in training or in a game, it's down to them. Their performance and how they play is it's totally down to them. The coach and the support staff are there to support and guide. And, and that's it. So when when a player's you know playing a playing a match, it's it's up to them, and so they need to they need to be to be on point. And so there is an element of you know single mindedness, a bit of selfishness, you know. But I would say hard work, working smart, and dedication are the are the, are the things that contribute to to players that have like a an ability to play the game. I think that's the the you know the the difference for me. You know like. I've seen so many talented players and played with so many talented players and they've never made it because they didn't have that, you know, that approach. They wasn't, you know, mentally wired in that way. And you know, like I say, everyone's different. So, uh, but they, they would be the, the, the things that I would say, the difference between players that are progressing on in the game to players that are not. Thank Even, it's just people don't realise from a young age, how kind of the amount of sacrifices these players have to take. I listened to Sask Fabregas recently, don't know if you heard, on Talent Takes Time with uh, Robbie Savage and Matthew Saeed. And he said from the age of nine to 14, four nights a week, he was making a four-hour round trip 
from his small town in Catalonia down to Barcelona and back. And he did it once at the weekends. Before his parents decided at 15 years of age, he needed to actually move into the halls at La Masia. But of course, there's no doubting the players who've worked with at Chelsea in England have absolutely 100% earned their stripes. But one thing which struck me earlier on, you spoke about going around Rwanda, seeing these players. And, you know, you firmly believe they would have adapted to any academy environment within the UK. And they would have surprised people. How do you think those Chelsea players at that age would have adapted to an environment like Rwanda? You firmly confident in their abilities they would have adapted? It's a difficult one because you only know what you know, right? When you grow up, when you, you're a product of your surroundings. And so it's a difficult one to, it's a difficult one to say. Even when I actually moved over there to work, you know, I, I wasn't ready to kind of witness the things I'd seen. And, and it wasn't bad things. It was just, you know, when you go to, to watch players play a game and, and they're playing on a dirt pitch, I, I, you know, just because I've grown up in a, in an environment where when you watch football, it's all on grass pitches or artificial pitches. You know, you don't see dirt pitches, you know, unless you was growing up in the 60s and 70s when all the pitches were like muddy and buggy. But so it's a difficult one to say. I think the reason why I say a player, a player from, from like the African continent could come into a professional academy is just because of their technical ability, because of how they handle the ball and how they've mastered it learning in the environments that they've grown up in they, they would technically be able to cope with the demands of of a top academy in, in in this country or in europe where they might fall down fall down is the the tactical side of the game and understanding the game that's that's the biggest difference and that's the difference that that the the there was a major not say issue but that was the major difference between the players i worked with in, in Africa and, and also out in, in Asia when I was in India, is technically they're good. They can they can handle the ball well. But because of the development pathway that's not in place and the infrastructures and resources that they don't have, that their understanding of the game at times, you know, isn't as isn't as advanced as as what it would be from from a young lad or, you know, a young girl playing playing in Europe or in, an, in another part of the world. So that would be the, the main difference for me. And I suppose for a guy like yourself growing up in England, all you've known your whole life is, of course, being in the academy system at Millwall, coaching at Palace, coaching at Chelsea. What made you take the jump to move to Rwanda? I, I needed another challenge, I felt. that You know, it was getting to a stage in my career where the opportunities that I wanted weren't necessarily coming my way. And when when the opportunity came to go to, to Rwanda, it was something that I couldn't couldn't turn down. You know, it's a whole it's a whole kind of life experience. You know, you're working, you know, you moved away from your, your home, your family and friends, your 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 support bubble, and you're moving into a completely new country, complete unknown. You don't know anyone. Um and it was something that I really wanted to, to experience, you know, because I felt that's what I needed at the time. And plus the job as well, the job was a big job. It was an opportunity for me to maybe 
build my CV and um, if I'd done well there, you know, I could get another opportunity further down the line. And that's kind of how I see it. You know, I just felt that it was, it was, it was an opportunity to, to challenge myself in so many different ways. Um, challenge how I communicated with people, how I worked in a completely different environment, how I managed expectations of others. Um, and, and, you know, I wanted to, wanted to leave Rwanda having made a difference and made a change. And I, I honestly believe that in, in the time that I was there, you know, I was able to do that. So that was, that was really the driving force for me. And I suppose for any young coaches out there and their development, how paramount is it getting that international experience? Well, everyone's different, right? Not everyone wants to necessarily go abroad because it is quite daunting. You know, it's not a, it's not an easy easy thing to do. You know, I, I can remember when I got when I got the phone call um, to say that it's 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 on. You know, I've got the green light. You know, you need to go to you need to get your visa and all of that stuff. The nerves start kicking in. You know, you're thinking, well, what happens if this, what happens here, what happens, you know, and all these things start to go through your mind. So the good thing is that when I did go, I was on my own, you know, I was a single lad um, and my only real responsibility was myself. I think it's different now if you've got a family, you've got them to consider, you know, um, so then your decision will, will kind of result around your, you know, your family and what it's like for them because when you're leaving people behind, that can be very, very difficult. But I think if, you've, if you want a new experience and you want to develop as a person and, and see life and get new life skills, then, you know, I think it's, a, it's good for, for people to, to step out of that comfort zone and, and go because football's not just in England. Football's everywhere. But I think where you grow up watching football in this country, everyone just gets single, you know, gets narrow-minded about you know, football elsewhere and it's it's played everywhere and it's good players and good people that work in the game, you know, across the whole world. So why not try and tap into that resource? And I think also as well, it shapes you as a person. You know, I think the experiences I've had have really, really helped shape me as a person. It may be better. I think I'm a better person and, and I'm better at my job through, through going over there. Because I feel like I understand people better through, through doing it. Yeah, I think just even like can't emphasize the importance of football enough in terms of what it does as a social construct. I'd imagine when you would have moved to Rwanda and later when you moved to India, <laughs> your Rwandan or Indian wasn't as, as fluent as the locals. So it's just the ability to connect over a football. It's really undervalued and underappreciated <clears throat> we have in terms of how powerful it is as a social construct. But then doing one big jump moving from London to Rwanda if that wasn't enough you move on then to India population of over one billion people what was that like? It was very overwhelming well both jobs were overwhelming I don't think you people realise how big they are until you you've actually walked away from them because you're when you're in these jobs you're almost in a little bubble yourself and you don't really know the impact you're having um, across the country across the continent at times because you're, you're so focused on what you're trying to, to trying to achieve you are aware of what's going on to a certain extent because there's always noise and there's, you know there's always people that are prepared to say things in in the media or you know that, that work within the football fraternity so 
I think that stepping into the limelight as such and never having really had that experience before then was was challenging, but it was a nice challenge. Um, and I think one thing I, I was thinking about this the other day, it was like, I enjoyed every moment that I was out in, in Rwanda and also in India, but I didn't savor those moments like I wanted to. And because you're so caught up with, with what you're doing and you're so focused on, on the job at hand, you don't always have time to sit back and go, oh, this is good. You know, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Think of what we're trying to do here. You don't always get those those times and those opportunities to do that. And I think if I was to get a, you know, another job, you know, overseas or or even in, in England, that was a big job that, you know, enabled me to have a responsibility to make a difference and make a change, then I'd want to try and savour as much of that as possible because I don't think I did it as much as I should have done when, when I was out there. But... The whole experience from from leaving one continent to going to another was was yeah was really really good. Like you don't realise how big India is. India is huge. But even massive. But even then, you hear about players getting injured or fatigued, making long tri international trips for games or whatever. But you yourself, you know, you were analysing players, the 19s, the 23s, shared landmass of the country. Remember you telling me before you yourself suffered from a bit of fatigue from all the travelling. I remember we we was I was with the under nineteens and um, we were playing in a, a regional like like tournament. So that meant we were we were playing in in Malaysia, um, Thailand, <clears throat> um, and Japan. So. It was like leading up to the, the international that window, which was in the November as well. So because I was working with the under 19s and also the senior team, um, when when the senior team games were were on, then I would then I would travel with like, the squad and be a part of the staff. But, but leading up to this particular game, we we were at we was out in Malaysia with the under 19s. And um, the amount of traveling that I had done prior to this trip. You know, I was on a plane probably every two or three days trying to, you know, go to different places. Um, so we played in Malaysia. We were due to fly back home, um, back to India, uh, play a game in India and then fly back to, uh, to like, fly over to Japan. But we, we ended up staying in Malaysia to play a game. And then we ended up flying from, from there to Japan and then back. But during the flight from, from Malaysia to Japan, I remember sitting in the plane, my back completely seized up. It completely locked up on me. And, you know, I'm six foot three, six foot four. And when, you're a, when you've been in an airplane for a long period of time and you're literally going from one place to another um, and, and being that the, 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 the seats were so tight together, like my, my, my knees were up by my chin. Um, yeah, my back completely locked up on me and I couldn't move. And uh, I remember actually having to get assisted off the off the airplane um, and, and going through like checkout. Um, but then we played the game and I remember doing doing the match and I actually couldn't even stand up on on the sidelines. I had to get my my assistants to to go and give the players instructions because I was in you know such a bad way. I then flew back to to India and 
the, the national team, senior team were due to be in camp on the, on the Sunday. So I flew back on a Thursday. So I went to the gaffer at the time. So I looked at gaffer, oh, I'm in a bad way. I don't know if I'll be able to make camp. He's like, listen, you, we need you here. You've got to come. I said, look, I'm, I'm literally bent over like an old man. I, I can't, I can't move. And I remember having to go to, um, to the hospital and I had to crawl on my hands and knees to go and get an MRI scan. And, um, and then ended up flying out that Sunday to join the, to join the team and then was a part of the game, you know, that week, but I couldn't, I couldn't actually coach because I was literally bedridden for, for four days. And it was purely due to the traveling that, that we were doing over there. Like when we would travel in country, I was based in Goa. So I'd travel from, if I, if I wanted to go and see a player or see a game that was in Shillong, which is in the, the North East part of India, I'd have to fly from, from Goa to, to Delhi, from Delhi to, to, you know, somewhere in the Northeast and then get a driver to then drive me like three or four hours to, to the location. So you're doing like two flights, you, you know, it doesn't look that far on the map, but it takes you over a day to get there. So it's like, it's, it, yeah, that was, that was quite an eye opener, the amount of traveling that I was, that I was doing. I think in one year, it totaled about 90, 95 flights I ended up doing. Well, yeah, that, that's including, that's including my, my trips home as well. You can be rest assured, you know, such, <laughs> such times would call in, you know, they would call into question your commitment to the game of football. <laughs> you know, most instances it really is a blind love. I mean, you speak there earlier on about not being, not being able there in Rwanda or India to kind of enjoy the moment, enjoy those experiences. But as you said yourself earlier on, when you're in a high pressure environment like Chelsea and they're breathing down your neck, the guys in charge there being like, you know, there's no time to rest in your laurels here. I haven't worked in football for so long. You know, coaching as well, the highest, the best of the best, and players from all over the world. I suppose you can't really help but get into a flow state. I mean, how can, how could someone like myself, even over here coaching at the moment, how could you appreciate, take a step back and appreciate the moment a bit more? Because personally, I'd find that hard myself once you're so kind of immersed in the ground what you're doing so I, I don't necessarily always mean around the job so if you're fortunate to travel and go to to countries for example you know maybe take the time to actually explore the country or go and see something that that you're you know when you're out there that's for me quite important like understanding different cultures and, and seeing seeing the world differently like we was in Bhutan and we played Bhutan beautiful country unbelievable and uh, after the game on the Saturday, we had the Sunday off. So we all decided as a, as a group that we wanted to go and see a, a, a temple, a Buddhist temple called a tiger's nest, which was literally hanging off a cliff, you know, two or 3,000 feet up. And it, and it took about four, four hours to trek up there. But, you know, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity to do that because to actually get a visa to go into Bhutan, it's $250 a day. And, you know, it's quite expensive and they rely on the tourism. So we were there for free. You know, we were there representing India, we were playing. So why not use the opportunity to go and see a bit of the country? So that's really what I mean more than necessarily the actual footballing moments uh, as such. 
I think it's important to enjoy the game. I think it's important to enjoy when you when you lose and then also reflect on on things that maybe haven't gone so well. But try to try to take in what's around you. Like you're living living in Dubai at the moment. It's an unbelievable place to to be. And there's a lot of people that would love to be out there. So for me, if I was in your position, I'd be trying to, you know, see as much of the city or different parts of the UAE as possible because you never know when when you might leave. And and I wouldn't want to miss out on opportunities in the future because of that. You know, I think that's easy. You just get you do end up getting sucked into what you're doing. You end up going into that this this routine of doing the same things every day. And then you actually forget where you are. And then by the time you end up leaving, that opportunity is gone. So I suppose that's really what I meant by like living the moment and, and appreciating things, you know, um, a bit more. It's probably more from a cultural a cultural uh, sense, a cultural standpoint. Yeah, no, I definitely echo that. I mean, even just doing the podcast now, we're just stuff in terms of personal development, you know, speaking with lads like yourself, like it kind of does give you that moment of reflection, you know, and it's always kind of great to take that and bird's eye view from the sky. You know, what would Lee do? What would this coach do? What would that coach do? Even speaking with family at home in Ireland, that's how you kind of appreciate the opportunity a bit more and value it but then you know going back to Chelsea once more I suppose a lot of your career has centered around youth development player development working at the underage level you look at some of your closest mates in the game such as Michael Beale who's gone on to win that 55th title for Rangers in the past week look at someone like Brendan Rodgers the success he's had on game now would you ever consider a move into first team coaching? hundred oh, percent. If it was right for me, then one hundred percent. Because I think that's everyone's aspirations of working at the highest level. You know, like working with the senior team in in Rwanda and also in India. There's a bug that you know that comes with it. You know, so it is like a drug that I can see why people get fixated on working at senior level because of the all the positive stress that comes with that and then also dealing with the negative stresses as well it's uh, it, you know it's something that um is quite unique and you can't really can't really describe it's it's something that everyone goes through differently but you know I, if if an opportunity came for me to to work in first team football then 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 I would definitely you know think about it you know seriously because it's where I, where I want to be. I want to work at the highest level that possible. Um, and yeah, I, I think you've always got to have these dreams and aspirations of trying to reach the top of your, of your profession, you know? And so, but like <clears throat> Michael, for example, it's taken him 20 odd years to get where he is at. You know, it's not literally just walked into a job and people, you know, forget that. He's actually done the hard yards He's had his own business. He's, you know, he's worked part time. He's done various like jobs, like, you know, at the start of his career that have opened up opportunities for him to, to you know, to have a, a solid career in the game. So, for him to to have achieved what he's achieved now, it's taken him over twenty years to to accomplish that. And and so for coaches or for people out there that may listen to this, thinking, oh, it's going to be a quick fix. I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and bang, I'll be in, you know, working at that level. It's not going to happen for everyone. 
you know, and the chances of that happening are quite are quite small. So, you know, and see, it will all, you know, even the same with myself, it's like I've done the jobs I've done, but I've had to do all of the hard work and would make all the sacrifices, you know, you know before that to, to, to be in these positions and have these experiences. It's more or less the iceberg analogy. You can only ever really see the tip. And then going forward, I suppose, big question where do you see yourself in 10 years time it's, it's a really difficult one i've been asked this like many times because i am ambitious i want to i want to achieve things but you don't know what's around the corner so we just use the pandemic as an example no one knew that we was going to have a pandemic and everyone was going to be on a total lockdown and that's literally stopped everyone from 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 doing certain things that they wanted to to do so <clears throat> I think for me personally, I try to keep my goals a little shorter in time. So like, you know, I'm, I'm doing a course at the moment with the Premier League, the EHOC. I'd like to get that done and out of the way. So I'm due to graduate at the end of the year, early next year. You know, I, you know, I want to keep learning and keep educating myself. And, 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 and should opportunities come for me to, to work in, in youth development, but, uh, you know, a top club, then... That's what I would consider. If an opportunity came for me to to work in senior level, then then that's what I would consider as well. So I, I don't want to. I, I wouldn't want to kind of pigeonhole myself to go and right. That's exactly what I want to do because I've had a taste of every every job within a player pathway, from a grassroots coach to a community officer to um, to working in schools to a youth developer, coach educator, and international coach. So I've I've experienced a lot, so I wouldn't want to necessarily kind of say one one thing. I think like I'd like to keep myself open to opportunities that should come away, hopefully. But ultimately, I want to be working at the, the highest level that I can possibly work at. Of course. And for someone, I suppose, I'm just curious, someone like yourself, Lee, that's worked in all aspects of the game, you truly believe a coach ever hits their ceiling? Even you look at the, the highest level now, someone like Pep Guardiola, he's made small little adaptations to the positional player system he's displayed at Manchester City. Do you think there's ever a case in point for reaching the so-called Nadir? Yes, I do, actually. I do think there's a, a, a there comes a point where a coach or a professional um, reaches their ceiling. The only reason they would reach their ceiling is if they're not willing to evolve with the times. Because if if your if your mindset is that well, this is what worked for me 15 years ago, it's going to work for me now, then time and the game's going to just completely pass you by. So the older you get, you know, the game's going to going to evolve at a rapid rate. You know, you've got to keep yourself educated. You've got to learn off other people. But then also, if you're in a position where you can um, have people to surround you, you know, then you bring in people that can help influence your decisions and, and make you better at what you do. You know, so if if your mindset is literally, well, uh, this is what I've done here all these years ago, should work now, then that, yeah, you will hit a ceiling. But if you're, if you're open-minded, and you want to complete. You want to. You want to evolve and always learn and, and develop. Then I don't think. I don't think you will. 
you've got you've got to be open-minded you can't be closed-minded in, in football or, or in any industry you know you've always got to be with the times and, and seeing what's out there and also recognizing that <clears throat> you might have been good 10-15 years ago at what you do but there's going to be people that are better okay so rather than maybe necessarily being scared of those people that are, are better than you how can you actually harness them and and draw their knowledge and their expertise to make you better, you know? And if you look at some of the best managers around the world, that's what they've done. They've, they've got in really, really good people around them. They've been very good at managing people, managing situations, but they've picked certain people to, to specialize in, in certain areas of the game. And they've had a big influence in, in, you know, in teams and, and clubs, you know, becoming successful. And then to close, I suppose, would you have any advice for someone like me? Um, currently, 25 years of age, about to enroll on UEFA B, just kind of having the experience I've had today back at home in Ireland, uh, North America, over here now in Dubai, just eager to kind of explore my own potential, my own ceiling. No kind of end goal in mind or end pursuit, rather just kind of seeing where football takes me. Do you have any advice for coaches like myself or any others who are on a similar pathway? I think take your time um, and always uh, be willing to learn and, and keep yourself educated. Like this and there's, I, I kind of, in, in some ways when, when I see a lot of coaches nowadays that are really, really eager to, to get all their qualifications as, as, as quickly as they can and they want to, to get in professional football and, and work at certain clubs or in certain positions, um, you know, within such a short period of time, that, that's fine. And everyone's needs or everyone's kind of desires are different, but you can't beat knowledge and experience, you know. So if you can apply experience to the knowledge you're gaining from the courses that you're, that you're on, and then merge those together, that's going to make you a much better coach and a much better person that's hopefully then going to stand you in good stead for the, to the you know, for the future. I, I, what I see is there's a lot of coaches that get all their qualifications but have no experience to back up their knowledge, you know, and I think that take your time, yeah, have an ambition of what you want it to achieve and, and where you'd want to be in, in the game. But also, <clears throat> you know, be open-minded to to new ideas and reach out to people like that you do and like people do because you, you're always learning. You're you can continuously learning, and you have to have that kind of that growth mindset, you know, with within the game. But that that would be my real kind of advice for 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 coaches that are, that are coming that are coming through that or want a career in football and listen some people get an opportunity early doors I'm not saying oh don't take it of course take it because you never know where that leads and and, and it's good to be in somewhere than, than not in somewhere you know but I just think that try to broaden your horizons and get lots of different experiences whether that's life experiences cultural experiences and you know professional experience because all of those things will will make you a better person and a better understander of people and make you better at your job. Absolutely superb. Lee, you know, I always love speaking with you. Not just about coaching, youth development, all things, really. 
should anyone wish to have a similar similar conversation with yourself or just chat on social media where is best to connect so you can connect with me on um, Twitter, uh, Lee Johnson 80. I'm also on LinkedIn. And on LinkedIn, there's my, my email address as well if you want to reach out to me. But they're, they're the two best places. Or, you know, if anyone's listening, they can reach out to you and you can forward all my details. So I haven't got an issue with that. Fantastic. Lee, top man as always. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Okay.